0: wine beat podcast I'm your host Craig the wine beat is an exploration of some of the world's great wine regions sometimes off the beaten track and today we are going well off the beaten track we're going to Amindo in northern Greece have you heard of that one not many people have but it's not a completely unknown region Um, Alpha Estate one of Greece's best-known winemaking estates has its home in Amindo And the place we're going to is Domaine Karanika. Domaine Karanika is known for making Greece's best bubbly wine. And this bubbly wine, this sparkling from Domaine Karanika is a beauty. Now, this is the second time I've recorded this introduction. The first time I had such fun just talking about the introduction because the experience was so amazing, that I rambled on and on and on, and then the introduction was, well, way too long. So this time I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version of the introduction. So here we go. I wanted to go up and see Lawrence Hartman at Domaine Karaniki because I'd had his sparkling wines and was overwhelmed by how wonderful they were. So I reached out to him. He said, sure, come on up, let's do the podcast. And so I traveled up there in November of last year. And the day I arrived, Lawrence said, Glad to have you, but unfortunately we can't have you visit the winery because um, we're making Tsipiro today. Tsipiro is the Greek version of grappa or eau de vie. Um, It's that distilled product that you make from the the remnants of the winemaking process, all the grape skins, etc. So with that, you distill it, you make a a fine, uh, pure liquor. So instead of going to the winery and seeing, you know, the winemaking vessels and seeing the sparkling winemaking process and all that sort of stuff and tasting the wines, Lawrence gave me directions to get to the distillery. So in this little village, this ramshackle village in the hills, um, I found my way to the distillery, which is kind of a cinder block overgrown shack. And the sight that greeted me as I drove in was um, the shack, wood piled up to... Fuel the furnace. uh, A couple dozen people standing around in the yard chatting. A very large barbecue going with meats uh, being being barbecued. uh, Some dogs. um, A flatbed truck with uh, big tanks with the grape skins, etc., that are going to be distilled, and um, and a band playing. At at this point, the band is playing. There's five or six guys in the band, um, and they're playing music to the barbecue. I think at that stage. For the balance of the day, they played music to the still. That's the tradition. They, they they play music to the still. Well, for the rest of the day and well into the evening, uh, we made grappa. When we say we, the master distiller, made grappa, the rest of us uh, drank it. Uh, we ate fantastic food, copious amounts of food, and we danced, we talked, uh, and then we ate, and then we danced. And when I say danced, the, the dancing is just... You know, the most fun part of a, about it, a maybe of all. I'm of course shy to get up and dance, but the people who are there, um, when the music starts, they bolt out of their seats and they dance, and um, and there's a lot of dancing going on. And it's fantastic, and so that's what we did. Well into the evening. Sorry, this is supposed to be the Reader's Digest version. Um, well into the evening, uh, I say to Lawrence, uh, "Hey, we have to report record the podcast," and he says, "Hey, we've had a lot of grappa and." Uh, a lot of Cipro, um, uh, you know, it's getting kind of late. Are you sure? And I said, well, I have to leave early in the morning. I do have to go. So if let's do it now. So what we did is we set up the microphones on the bonnet or on the hood of his old Land Rover truck in the yard outside the still. As a result, you can hear the people talking in the background, a little bit of music. You can hear some dogs barking, tractors going, blah, blah, blah. And we recorded the podcast there leaning on the fenders of that Land Rover truck um easily the most fun I've had recording a podcast this was one of the greatest days uh, I've had for a long time it was a it was just a blast just being there and the crazy unusual experience in this unique part of the world far from the beaches that you're thinking about when you think of Greece normally up in the mountains uh Really a wonderful experience. I hope you love the podcast just one tiny bit as much as I loved being there that day. Here we go. We can just get started by um, me uh, welcoming you. Thanks, Lawrence, for joining the Wine Beat. We're here in northern Greece, and I'm going to ask you to explain where we are and, um, and, and about the winery because it's a bit hard for me to describe. It's, um, it's something quite new coming up to northern Greece for me.
1: Well it, it was new to me because because I, I came here 15 years ago. We are in, in, in the northern part of Greece, uh, Macedonia. The Greeks call it the real Macedonia. There's no other Macedonia than the Greek Macedonia. We're in the village called Pedino and we are celebrating the end of the wine season um, by distilling um, the Lee and and uh, the remnants, everything that remains after the fer- the fermentation of the of the wine. And people can probably hear the music in the background from the party. That this is, attended. yes, this is usually uh, accompanied by music. Uh, people dance. Um, in this case, uh, at Domain Karanika, we, we have uh, invited all our friends, everyone who has helped us. Um, uh, make these wines we, we made last year uh, from the lawyer to the uh, civil engineer the the people that worked the the grape pickers uh, everyone that has helped in making the wine uh, has been here with us today we have been dancing drinking eating and distilling Tsiporo, Eau de Vie, Grappa it's it's quite alcoholic um, and, and that is a very moving symbolic uh, act of finishing the wine year and now now we start pruning and then we start a new cycle So we're gonna talk about your wine making
0: and your sparkling wines and your still wines But let's because you've you've been talking about the grappa or tsipouro making Let's just talk about that because that's a big tradition here. You've been explaining to me. It yes, to it me. is
1: It is it is a balcon tradition. Maybe it's even broader than Balkan Um, uh, The law law allows us, as farmers uh, and winemakers, uh, a percentage of the grape skins uh, that are are, uh, left behind to ferment them into um, uh, alcohol, into grappa, um, eau de vie, uh, mar mar de champagne, mar de bourgogne, uh, which is a strong alcoholic uh, beverage, a very concentrated um sometimes they age it in in uh, barrels and then it becomes like cognac and whiskey like like brownish uh, or they leave it uh, plain white and and clean Here in the area uh, people drink um, uh, either grappa or tsiporo with anise which is the the sweet version um people many people know it as Uzo, uh, but in the north we are just I th- we think we are a little more um, m- more masculine so we drink it without the f- the feminine glikaniso and we drink it pure it's not sweet i mean uzo has that sweetness to yes it. Uh, yes
0: and cipro typically or real yeah. cipro is not so yeah. sweet.
1: well it's it's actually in crete it's called raki in turkey it's called raki uh, it is it is it is a variation of the same the same tradition uh, in Macedonia, we as drink it stronger in, in France. The ouzo with, with anise is the same as pastis ah, okay, in, okay, in, so in France with some,
0: yes. with some sweetness.
1: Yeah, right, with yeah. some sweetness. We drink it pure um, uh, as raki, uh, and, and, and every village has its own tradition. Every village uh, puts on some herbs. We do it without any herbs because we have very good grapes, because we are a wine making area, but also the areas that don't make wine. Uh, they make their they make their grappa, and and it's actually it's very interesting because it, it's allowed by laws that have been made during the Turkish occupation, centuries ago. Uh, because um, the the excise we pay on the grappa is very low, uh, it's it's ridiculously low. So actually it's almost for free. So you you can you can get really drunk on on almost. Nothing. I mean, it's very cheap. So it's uh, an area where the government has stayed away it's a tradition, from taxing it. Yes, uh, that'll change. That must change. But it's a tradition that everyone, on, uh, up to a certain amount, we we can distill 1,700 kilograms of our own grapes,
0: which okay, would so each amount to no, a limit? No, each There's, farmer, each farmer has each, a limit.
1: Each vineyardist right, right. Uh, can produce up to 1,700 kilos can use 1,700 kilos of his grapes, uh, which means 120 liters of strong beverage.
0: Grappa. And the other thing that you were telling me that was quite interesting is that these distillers are only allowed to operate for 21 days. Yes,
1: it is? is. It is a very small period, like one month after the end of harvest. Uh, and then for a period of two weeks, three weeks, ten to twenty days, uh, when they then then the, the customs they come and they they um, open the stills, uh, and then and then after uh, the twenty day period they come and they close them again. So they are they are um, with, well they are they are locked by right. the customs.
0: Well, I, I wish the viewer the listeners could see the scene that we're looking at right now because this is, this is truly artisanal. This is uh, down a small side street in the village. and There's a small building with an old copper still.
1: And yes, it's an old yard with, with two or three very old sheds, uh, with some farm cars, you know, the, and, and, and uh, filled with, with grapes, uh, skins and some old wine. And there's this old shed where it has a still in it. Uh, with a long table and 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 there's a big barbecue in there and people dance and drink mostly they drink and have fun well, the dancing uh, was pretty intense, actually. Um, well, you said you said it reminded you of acid jazz. <laughs> the music was a bit like some of it was a bit like acid jazz. It was jazz. it was intense. I no, no, I I, intense. I, I, uh, I agree. I agree. It was intense. <laughs> it music. was something
0: that I didn't expect. The music, lots of it was unexpected for me. But the yeah. music was uh, quite quite powerful. Yes. And people just jumped out of their seats and danced. Yeah.
1: And and it is so not Greek.
0: No, it's different, isn't it? It's um... people.
1: My friends, they say, "Oh, you're so lucky! You're in Greece, and and the sun, and the sea, and tomatoes." And, and I said, oh, "Sorry, guys, you're wrong. I'm I'm in, in Macedonia, That's and, and this is different. We have peppers, bell peppers. We have cabbages. We eat meat. Uh, we don't eat you fish. We have
0: wolves and bears, which blew we me ha- away. I didn't know you had wolves. We and have bears.
1: wolves and bears, you know, and they eat our grapes. They, they love are. our grapes, so so we have to protect ourselves against the bears. Well, it's okay; it's it's a little bit blasé, but you get used to it. The bears the and the bears. wolves. <laughs> there's, there's a few wolves. <laughs> it's horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: um, Cipero making was one of the highlights of my life for the last number of years. This was a just an amazing fun night. But um, but we we really have to talk about your wines because you are. Uh, famous now and within a short period of time you've become quite famous for the quality of your wines um, and for the quality of your sparkling wines so you have both still in the sparkling wines your name is is becoming very well known as your your wines are showing up on the best uh, wine lists in restaurants around the world um so tell us about you know, uh, well, you can talk about whatever you wish to talk about, but tell us about how you decided to make well, wine in this far I, I will rivers. I will
1: tell you how, how we got to make this sparkling wine uh, from a very local grape variety. We, we were looking uh, in, in 2003, for we were looking for a place in Europe to f- make sparkling wine. I, I had been studying in Davis, Cal- California, um, and I had been doing some, some work in Champagne. Champagne is my, my, my big love. Um, and, and we were traveling all over Europe to find a place where we could establish ourselves and start a small family winery, a little romantic uh, um, with some cows and some sheep and, uh, uh, you know, tourism, wine tourism and, and have two or three guest rooms uh, and, and just have a, a quality life. Um, uh, the irony is we ended up in in Greece which had a very bad name uh, until the early years of 2000 uh, only uh, retina and, and sweet, semi-sweet red wine uh, but there has been going on a revolution uh, in Greece, a very silent revolution uh, Greek wines have have have, ing- have, have Become so much better the the last 20 years, uh, which was not known to me. I I had no idea. Uh, But when we traveled through through Macedonia uh, one summer, uh, we we came across a grape variety xinomavro, which is a local grape variety. It's black.
0: Say that again slowly. Wow, I'm sorry. Yes, I know. Speak Greek. That's a tough word.
1: It's xinomavro, and that means xino is acid, mavro means black. So it's the acid black grape, Xinomavro. Uh, and that's what it is. It is a grape that is similar to Pinot Noir, to Nebbiolo. Uh, it produces very tannic, intense, fruity red wines that if vinified correctly can age can age many, many years. And they have these three grape varieties, Xinomavro, Pinot Noir and Nebbiolo, they have the same aging pattern and that's why people put them in the same category. Um, they age in an animal-like style. The, the leather, the, the horsey, the, the stable-like aromas when it ages more than six, seven years combined with the, the fruit, the red fruit, the, 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 the pink fruit Framboise, the the fruitiness, the minerals. It's, I mean, some people say Cinomavro is the new Nebbiolo from Italy, um, but way cheaper, uh, because for twelve euros, which is I think fourteen fourteen um, US dollars, US dollars, sure. you have a magnificent complex red wine. Uh, that ages well, that has tannins, that has acidity, that is, that is really a it's food a wine. It's a cheaper than Barolo. It's a lot cheaper. cheaper. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. However, I've been talking now about Xenomovro, the red grape. But yes. if you like Pinot Noir, uh, if you vinify it as a blonde Noir, as a white wine from red grapes, it can make this insanely elegant high acidic but still elegant white wine that is and that proves to be the most amazing base wine for sparkling wine
0: and that's what you want for that and spot. that
1: is when I when I tasted a Blanc de Noir a very simple not very impressive Blanc de Noir from Xenomevro I said wow this is sparkling wine and they, they tried to make it in a still white wine and that was not good that was unbalanced and and I thought, well, what do you know? Let's just give it a go. Let's try and and make a method traditionnelle sparkling wine out of xinomavro. Just as an experiment, we will make the red wines. We, the we will make the white method, wines.
0: It's, I, know, I will it's, explain. I know it's illegal, but um, <laughs> the traditional method is champagne method. Right?
1: It's champagne method, yes. Yeah. I, I I I we we can we can. Come back to that, but it was—it started off as an experiment. So we started in 2006. We decided to stay uh, in in Macedonia, in Florina, which is the coldest climate of all Greek wine areas. And um, we we built a winery, and we were thinking of building even some guest rooms. And and we had our first dogs and chickens, and we were going to be happy farmers. And then in 2009, we bottled the first uh, Blanc de Noir uh, from Xenon to be undergoing a second fermentation in the bottle. And two years later, in 2011, we made 1,000 bottles of sparkling wine from Xenon And I really liked it. But I mean, I'm biased. I, I, I mean, OK. It's my wine, so as an experiment, it was lovely, but I sent it to some uh, colleagues, friends. You're the uh, artist,
0: you have to like your art.
1: (laughs) Yes, that is, that's true. And I sent it to some friends, journalists, uh, wine bloggers, and they all said, Wow, what's this? How expensive are you going to sell this? And I said, well, around 14 euros, I don't know. So the reception on the very first vintage was... was amazing. Wow, and, nice. and, and people started calling me and, and it started off with one wine blog by Nico Manessis, who who is a Swiss-based wine writer and he said well this is the missing link for Xenomavro we know Xenomavro makes terrific red wines Xenomavro made makes terrific rosé wines still wines but now this Dutch guy in Greece he proves that there is a world-class sparkling wine uh, um, uh, possible from Xenomavro
0: had anybody else done a sparkling wine out of Xinoma? Yes,
1: there was the cooperation in Aminio that made a Charma method, which is a tank method. Let, let's say it's a, a sweet, um, sorry, a cheap, um, a cheaper production method uh, for semi-sweet sparkling wine. Yeah, you you, you give it carbon dioxide. In the tank. Well, yeah, no, it is. It is. It undergoes a second fermentation, and then you add a little more. But it's filtered. It's it's fresh. So you harvest in August, and you sell it in December. Okay. okay. Um, it's like a cheap prosecco. It's very nice. It it's like lemonade with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not a it's not a great wine. But it showed did that potential. Did
0: that did that help in any way in your thinking to have had it exposure well, I, to that wine?
1: I don't know no I, I just thought that this is not the way we should go we we should we should really try and and produce something of high quality because I'm I'm just a family guy I'm, we it's my wife me and and two helping hands and and that's it so we can't af- and we can't afford a big bottling line and all those all those pressure tanks so ac- actually it 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 also was a practical motivation like l- let's do it the traditional way let's do it the method Champenoise let's let's just ferment in bottle Small quantities a thousand bottles and and we'll let's see where where all this ends Because after all it it just was a a, it was an experiment We wanted to make red wine from Xinomavro, we wanted to have some visitors uh, Doing some tours go horse riding have the cows do biodynamics do organics uh, dance under the moon, you know uh, 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 Romantic uh, fed up with, with uh, urban life in, in Holland, uh, commuting between Amsterdam and Rotterdam, um, and and just doing it all over again. Um, and then all of a sudden, after sending out those ex- samples, and we got this crazy response, like, we want more, and where can we get it? And how many bottles have you made? And can we order it? Our life shines, our life... Changed like like the day became night and night became day because because we 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 hit a vein uh, there was we made something which was different and then and then the next year I sent some samples to Champagne where I have been uh, doing my practice uh, period and where I've been working for six months and I brought six bottles of my sparkling wine to my mentor. Uh, Monsieur Ruel Pertois and he tasted the wine and he says, "Well, this is fantastic." He says, this, "This, this, this Pinot Noir you make is is, <laughs> is, is that what he called it?" Yeah, is 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 <laughs> love. I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Monsieur, <laughs> M- Monsieur Ruel, but this is this is not Pinot Noir. This is Cognac, Nah, no, 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 no. no, no, no. no, no, no. No, no, c'est Pinot Noir and it was really very difficult to convince him that this was made in Greece and and you know I'm an honest guy I, I don't tell lies so so he says come on let's go to the to the cafe the, the local the local uh, cafe where i mean in champagne the champagne area everything is around champagne so if you go to this to the cafe everyone works in champagne either as a logistics either in winemaking either in farming but everyone in champagne works in one way or the other in champagne so everyone has an opinion so we went to his cafe and he says uh, uh, he, he invited his friends over there and his, his relatives and I know I said well uh, come on friends I've come sending to taste for you so these these French uh, uh, sh- uh, champenois as they call themselves um, the champagne makers they tried this and they're and 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 then they started. Calling. Did you make this or did you make no no no? i one. It's a Dutch guy who made this. Uh, so where did you make this? Uh, we don't we don't know anyone who made something with 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 you with a Dutch guy. And I said no, I didn't make it here. No, it's possible, No, that's that that's impossible. It's it's you you. This is ours. This is made in Champagne or maybe just outside the Champagne area. Uh, but this is Champagne. This is not. And I said, No, I'm sorry, and and, and Monsieur Bertois he he helped me and he said no guys this is made in Greece and this is from I don't know they let me translate the word Xinomavro. And they just didn't believe it. They they think I they thought I was I was fooling them and, and that I was I was playing with them and and this was some sort of farce or a joke. So we, we one way or the other by using their methods Exactly their methods, because I copied the traditional method they use to the, to the, to the last detail, very meticulously, every, every detail as it should be, as I was taught to make champagne. But in Greece, and with the Greek grape variety, the Xenomavra the result is something which is so similar to a high quality champagne but just a tiny bit different and they really loved it even in champagne they loved it and after i mean they we split as friends although the the there was there was i mean the third world war was very close that
0: was that was too much that you had produced a good Champagne method? They, th- it
1: was very difficult for them to accept that outside Champagne, someone was able to make something which was very similar to Champagne, but wasn't Champagne. Wow. Um, this is like another uh, the, the, um, uh, the judgment um, of Paris. Th- there's this guy, René Geoffroy, he's one of the top five Champagne producers. He's really, really ve- very well known among the, the aficionistas, the, the people who are really into Champagne. And Rene of croisette go on, my friend. This is, you you you've hit. You're on the right track. Mm. And and this was a compliment from the nationalistic super. I mean, the French will not tell any positive words about any wine outside of France. Yeah. <laughs> and and they really loved
0: it. Fantastic. So you've got a range of uh, sparkling wines and still wines. But yeah, tell me about your range of sparkling wines.
1: Well, the wines. the uh, it's. The introduction, the long introduction, um, we have, we are very close to Champagne because I love Champagne, I think their method is extremely, make, produces extremely elegant wines with length, I mean the aging on the Lee and all that. So we make something which is very close to Champagne. It's It has nothing to do with Prosecco, it has nothing to do with Cava from Spain or nothing to do with Spumante in Italy. It is something very close to Champagne, but with, as I said, with another grape variety. This is, this is what characterizes our wines. And we, we have given it an, its own identity by using Sinomovro. And the second grape variety we use is the very well known Greek grape variety Assyrtiko, which we know from Santorini, which produces highly mineral, very aromatic, sharp, razor sharp wines. Uh, salty uh, wines uh, with lots of extract from an island in the, in, in the middle of the Aegean. We planted this Asyrtiko in our high-altitude vineyards. We are at 600 meters above uh, sea level and behind the mountains, so we really have a cold climate here. Um, already around us, as we speak, the, 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 we, the, the mountains are covered with snow. Uh, and this,
0: this, is, this is worth an aside, I'm, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is worth an aside because people would not think about cool climate winemaking in Greece. It, no. It, most people would just never think of I think, two things together.
1: I think we are one of the few really cold climate areas in the whole Mediterranean. Northern Greece, Macedonia, especially Florina, which is behind the mountains, has a really uh, cold climate uh, vineyard area. Uh, which gives high acidity, which gives high aromatics, which gives low alcohol. Um, and, and actually this produces the old style European wines. Let me try to, exp- and, and when people, well there's, there's, there's schools that come to the winery and then I explain to the kids what's sparkling wine. Sparkling wine is white wine and we add bubbles to it. How do bubbles grow into my wine? and that is like every fermentation. A fermentation is sugar, which is in the grape, outside the grape there's the skin, and out of the skin there is this stuff that looks like, it's like a prune, which is black, but it has this gray yeasty thing on the outside, Well, that is the yeast. Yeast is an organism that eats sugar, and it transforms it into alcohol. So, if you squash, if you squeeze the fruit, then the sugar which is inside the fruit comes into contact with the microorganism, the yeast which is on the outside of the fruit. It wakens up and it starts eating the sugar and it turns it into alcohol. This is what is called fermentation. Now, during this um, uh, transforming of, of sugar into alcohol, there is a production of CO2, which is a gas. That is the same gas you find in your coca-cola or in your beer or in some other beverages that is co2 when you make wine from grapes the co2 uh, goes into the air you, you ferment your grapes in open tanks so that it doesn't explode because the, the pressure can get immense. Now the same uh, procedure is being used in sparkling wine however we do this controlled and within the bottle. So we have this tank with white wine. We add, the white wine doesn't have any sugar because it's, it's fermented, it's, it's been, alcohol. It's been fermented dry. So we add 24 grams of sugar, exactly 24 grams. And then we add, which is very difficult, but let's not go into this. We add this yeast population into this white wine with sugar. And we mix it and then we watch through the microscope whether these yeast will, organisms, will wake up and start eating the sugar. Once we see that they wake up and start eating the sugar, we, we bottle the whole tank into bottles. We close the bottles as good as we can with crown corks and then we store the bottles. And we leave the bottles for a couple of years to conclude this fermentation so in this bottle the yeast is eating the sugar it's turning into alcohol so from an average 10 percent alcohol the wine in the bottle goes to 11 and a half 12 percent alcohol that's maximum that's where we want to have it but the co2 is trying to escape from the bottle it cannot escape and the co2 molecules they dissolve into the wine and this is how we get the bubbles in the wine now, during this procedure, these yeast organisms, they multiply. So, 2 become 4, 4 become 8, 8 become 16, 32, 64, 1, 265, 56, I'm sorry. So, this population of yeast is, is growing enormously. Exponentially. Exponentially, and there's a whole population of yeast. It's like mud. So, in the bottom of these bottles, the bottles are stored vertically. They are lying down, hugging each other so um, uh, in the the cellars at like 12 degrees temperature while these microorganisms are multiplying the layer of mud which is the Lee uh, is is growing until the sugar is consumed the co2 is in the wine it's stored there and then because we harvested quite early they are quite unripe we let it rest and we let it age on the Lee. Now this Lee is very very important because this Lee has the ability to make a sharp wine round to make a acidic wine pleasant to make um, a thin wine thicker there's this very famous wine in France Um, which is called uh, muscadet that's a grape a grape variety and it's in the northern of france it's in the loire when the wines couldn't come over nine percent alcohol because of the cold it's very cold over there and this muscadet made a wine that is undrinkable it's it's like vinegar and then we have this muscadet Surly. And this surely meant that they left these white wines on the leaf for one or two years. And this acidic, undrinkable vinegar type wine turned into a very elegant, okay, acidic. But I mean, acid is I mean, we do some, we put some vinegar in the salad and, and that, that makes it oh, yeah, very, a, it's I mean. A, it's, a, it's a super
0: significant uh, element to making... Lots of food's pleasure. Yep. And certainly in wines.
1: Uh, yes, I agree.
0: Acidity makes wines pleasure. And
1: the miscadestrile is, a, is very well known for using the lee for softening the wine. It's and so, exactly so. the same thing happens in Champagne because we harvest so early, the wines need aging on the lee. Okay. And this gives the Champagne the, the distinctive characteristics of what the French call brioche. So it's the toasty yeasty aromas uh, in the quality sparkling wines and that is because of the aging on the Lee and this starts from eight nine months on the Lee on the wine it starts developing those aromas and it can go on like for four or five years and then it stabilizes and then you have uh, a a stable uh, a period of aging. Uh, where the lee also acts as a natural antioxidant, which means that it protects the wine against From oxidizing later oxidation yes yes, uh, so this is a very um, complex method of making sparkling wine, but at the same time, the reason we use this difficult method is to improve the quality of the wine, and that is one of the reasons why champagne's real champagnes are so expensive because. Every bottle is handled more than 120 times before it's ready to go to the customers. Every single bottle. And The the odd thing is that while we were aiming to just be a happy family uh, with two guest rooms and two cows, suddenly we were thrown into this premium league sparkling wine competition of competing with for me iconic wines Dom Perignon's, Agrapar, René Geoffroy because we went to restaurants or, or our importers went to restaurants and they tasted our sparkling wine uh, like in New York and they said well it's good stuff but we already have Champagne's and uh, we have you know we have La Carpa, we have and then you we say well h- how much does it cost and then they say well I don't know exactly twenty dollars was, was uh, it is uh, very cheap, and they all said, "Wow, okay, then I'm sorry, Mr. Agarapar, but you have to go." And then we will we, we'll bring in a Karanika because the price and the quality are are unique. So, and uh, uh, this is this is very frustrating and very difficult because you never expected to be in this in this league, but this this brings so many obligations with it because this means that every month. You're when on the we treadmill.
0: Do, You're on the treadmill now.
1: Every degorgement needs to be perfect. You mm. cannot afford to have one single and every bottle is a separate fermentation procedure. Which means that every bottle that leaves the winery has to be good. Without, that blows
0: me away. How, how, can, how can you create consistency when each fermentation in each bottle?
1: Is you effective? can only create consistency when you're a freak in details so what we do with our small team Leah, Yanni, Andreas and me we follow a protocol that is like a maniac so if it says 10 degrees Celsius it's 10 degrees not 10.1 if it says you keep it two months and one day on the Lee we keep it two months and one day on the Lee so on the second day it's too late so we do we copy our previous year To the second...
0: And that's how you create consistency. And that's how you create consistency. Ultra consistently doing things. Yes,
1: but I I said we are maniacs, which means that if we do degorging, which means that we dispose of the Lee and the bottle and put on the cork instead of the crown cork, We do this with the wine on the exact same temperature as last year, which means that it has to be 10 degrees Celsius, that the environment where we do the degorging is 10 degrees Celsius, so we all wear coats in the middle of the winter. I want everything to be meticulously, to be exactly in the same temperature, the same conditions, and we go one step further, because we don't add any additives to the wine, not any chemicals. That means that we are, and this might come as a surprise, we are fully dependent on the moon and the planets to create the same circumstances, to have the same quality of mousse in our sparkling wine. Wow. Do you allow me to say something more about biodynamics, biodynamics. In sparkling wine?
0: Let's talk biodynamics, let's do it, I, I can't wait.
1: We discovered that after full moon, until New Moon, those 12 days, 13 days, are the only days when you can do a Degorgement. Because in the other half of the moon cycle, it goes foaming and it's, it's difficult once if, if you are not messing with chemicals. Uh, and we have been looking and have been thinking because the first degorgings there was foaming and we thought it was a temper- the temperature so we changed the temperature, we changed everything else and uh, we tried to do everything uh, we could do. And um, in the end uh, we couldn't figure out what it was and then we said well, for God's sake, could it be the moon? It was the moon. gravity a combination with gravity uh, well the gravity which is which I'm is I'm going uh, with the scientific Maybe yes. I, no. no, no. It,
0: I'm straying away from biodynamics yes. when I talk about gravity. The
1: interesting thing is that there's another factor and it has to do with the biodynamic days. As some of you might know there is the root day the uh, leaf day the flower day and the fruit day. This it's, it's 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 different days <laughs> altering days um it's M- maybe too complicated to explain, but there's a couple we'll of
0: three days. Or four podcasts for that.
1: Yes, I think so. Um, but on the root days and on the flower days, we can't do the gorging. And and Yanni, our our chief cellar master, he, he 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 doesn't believe those shit. He said, "No, no, you're <laughs> kidding me. That, this that's I mean, it has to do with temperature. This is this no way. You're kidding me." Uh, so last week we had degor- uh, degor- uh, a a, 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 a uh, speedy because we, we, we needed to send some wines to, to uh, Japan and, and there, there wasn't enough uh, stock. So we did a degorging which was in the wrong date and it was foaming. Um, and then he said, no, 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 we are in the 12 days after full moon, uh, so this is good. And then we figured out that it was a flower day instead of a fruit day. Uh, so, so this was the proof that it, it, uh, it it's it, not
0: just the moon cycle, no. it's more. It's and the interesting
1: more. thing is we have been talking to very famous biodynamic champagne producers like Fleury in, in, uh, in Champagne. Uh, they are biodynamic, but they are biodynamic in the vineyard. So they, they, they use the cow horns and the silicium and all these solutions. Um, we do that as well. Um. But we try to be biodynamic in the winery as well. And then the interesting thing uh, comes up that no one knows anything about it. Um, you mean it's hard to find the expertise out there? They don't think about I don't know, they don't, they don't think about it. Uh, and, and I don't know, it's maybe if you are born into a winemaking industry you're getting blind for some of the things you're used to do as your father did it and your grandfather did it. And and I was a publisher and so I'm new to this. And and I said, why why is this happening? Why is it foaming? I don't know. So I asked people in Champagne, well, it's foaming. One day it's foaming, the other day it's not foaming. So what's the problem? Just degorge and, and go on. Uh, or use some of this stuff and then then it will stop foaming. and and, and uh, but I wanted to understand, what's the reason? Why? I don't know about winemaking. What's the reason why it's foaming now and it wasn't foaming yesterday? So then we, we, we started just tracking and, and making records of everything. So I said to Leah and I tried myself, but it's very difficult because it takes a lot of time. So we do this gorge. What do we see? What's the moon like? Is it foaming? Uh, how is the wine uh, reacting? Uh, is it a, a, a fruit day or is it a root day? What, what's, what's happening? What's going on? And now we gradually start to see things falling together, and and we we we, we start so to understand.
0: if you coordinate those two calendars, the moon cycle calendar and the leaf day, root day, etc., yeah, then
1: you can. Well, the problem is the problem is that the moon makes more than just one cycle. It's it's also going in an oval. So some days it's closer to the earth, and other days it's farther. Is further away, so sometimes the moon is bigger, and some. Yeah. So, yeah. when you have these giant moon, yeah, some, yep. sometimes a year, yeah. I don't know what's the English it, it's uh, a giant moon or full have, um, super moon, super, super moon, moon. super Don't ever drink a, a wine on super moon if it's a rude day, because then you <laughs> can better drink Coca Cola. <laughs>
0: Okay. It's, I mean, I'm mean... i going to sell a calendar that you know that people can. There refer is some. To, there yeah. is some calendars, but also oh, okay. the the, the proximity
1: the proximity of the moon to the earth uh, plays a role. Obviously, as you said, scientifically, probably because yeah, a of gravitational the gravitational issue. Yes, there's, there really is. But and I Europe's can't so. understand. it mean, creates tides. So there you go. Why the planets and the zodiac has any influence? That mm. is something mm. for me beyond. I I can't understand. But I. I just see it happening.
0: And that was Lawrence Hartman of Domain Karanika. Half Greek, half Dutch, all pure winemaking passion. Hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find Lawrence's website at www.karanika.com. You can also find more information on the show notes for this episode on our website at www.winebeatpod.com. Again, hope you enjoyed it. Listen, I want to make an unpaid plug for a company called Joysters. I met Nick Rahovitis and Kostas Karadimos at the Cipro making party, the same one that we've just been uh, hearing in the background of the podcast. And they run a travel company, uh, tailor made travel to the north of Greece. They're trying to introduce people to this very special part of the world. So if you are interested in going up, uh, have a look at their website, www.joysters.co. And check out the, uh, the travel offer that they have. Uh, next up on the Wine Beat is a new series, a sub-series of podcasts that I call Cocktails with Winemakers. These are shorter episodes, uh, and we're covering winemaking from a kind of a technical perspective. Not winemaker-level technical, but wine-nerd-level technical. P- for people like you or I who love wine, who are interested in wine, want to know a little bit more about the process of making wine all the way through from the vineyard through to the bottling. And um, and so we take each step and we kind of break it down a little bit in a fun and interesting way. I've recorded three episodes so far in that new series, and I'm going to start that next. So stay tuned for those. also episodes coming up on uh, the wine regions of northern Italy, so that'll be interesting as well. Stay tuned. Come on back for more podcasts. Thanks for joining me today. This is Craig. Take care. Bye.